0: I googled Time magazine this week to uh, investigate the uh, headlines of 2008 to try and get a feel for what were the key issues of this past year, the top news stories. And as I went to the site, I noticed there was a top 10 uh, section for news stories. I wasn't surprised that topping the charts of key issues for this past year was not Afghanistan. It wasn't Iraq. It wasn't uh, the terrorist attacks in Mumbai, India or the challenges in Pakistan or Iran. It wasn't the uh, uprising in South Asensia that the Russians tried to quell. It wasn't the cyclone in Burma or the earthquake in the central China region. It wasn't even the fact that uh, America elected its first black president. The number one news story of 2008 was entitled, When We Realized the Sky Was Falling. I wasn't surprised, and you probably aren't either, that it's the story of the collapse of Lehman Brothers, AIG, the 33% drop in Wall Street. The top news story of 2008 was about money. Who has it and who doesn't. Mostly about who doesn't. We can fit into that category, I'm sure. I want to begin a series this morning that will carry us on for a few months entitled Live Big. It's a call to experience the uh, abundant living that Christ promised to those who follow him to live life to the max. Uh, That we might be people who advertise to the the panicked, the paranoid, the paralyzed, all around you, an alternative lifestyle. A a true lifestyle that, that, that God intends for us to upsize the mission side of our lives. Not so much by programming or by formulas... Or by corporate strategies. But rather to um, experience what it is to have God telling his story through each of our individual lives. God showing himself through our lives. That that I think is the definition of of glorifying Christ. It has a, a, a new buzzword to describe it called being missional. To live big is, by the way, first a battle to believe. In fact, in uh, 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, a young preacher, and he says to him, You need to fight, you need to fight the fight of faith. It's a, to fight that good fight, it's a challenge, it's a struggle. The battle to believe, it begins, by the way, with a confession to believe. ...that Christ is the answer for your life. To believe in God by faith. It's the starting point in your life. And then to have a conviction in your heart... ...that that, that believing by faith... ...entails believing that God has the power... ...to deliver on what He promises. And and then there are continuing actions... ...that that follow that. the, The commands of God's Word... ...to follow through by faith... ...in what you believe. If we're going to be live big people... ...people who are missional... ...who, who, who uh, allow God to tell his story through us... ...then we have to battle to believe... ...our confession, our convictions... ...and through our continuing actions. In fact, Abraham demonstrated in his life... ...a, a real summary of, of what I'm talking about... In Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, there the, uh, the Apostle Paul really defines faith by using the character study of Abraham, and he defines what it is to battle to believe, to live big. He says here, Yet he, Abraham, did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, ...and gave glory to God... ...being fully persuaded... ...that God had power to do... ...what He had promised. Now, Abraham was promised at his old age... ...with a barren wife... ...that he would have a child... ...and so in the face of... ...of circumstances that pointed... ...in in absolutely the opposite direction... ...of of him ever becoming a father... ...it says here that... that ...Abraham demonstrated a live big philosophy... ...by refusing... To waver in his faith. Being strengthened by God to believe that God could deliver on what he promised. And in so doing, Abraham's life brought glory to God. In a nutshell, that encapsulates, those two verses, encapsulate what I'm talking about in this series. That we would be people. In the face of of evidence to the absolute contrary. ...to what God has promised... ...that we would, we would have conviction to believe... ...and be strengthened by God... ...and be persuaded that God is, to, is able to deliver on His promises... ...and thereby glorify God in our lives. In other words... ...allow God to tell His story... ...to advertise His story... ...through each of our lives... ...to people who are paralyzed... ...and panicking and paranoid all around us. The psalmist writes it this way, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? I think that's the the, the good question for Calvary Baptist Church in 2009. Because not only are the financial foundations shaking, but the our world's foundations are shaking in every possible direction. And so the question that is posed to us from a watching world, from a watching Durham region, is when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's Psalm 11, verse 3, by the way. Maybe we have been building some things as foundations that were never meant to be foundations for God's people. Projects, values, desires that were shaped. We're not, in fact, live big pursuits. Or maybe we are reacting to the circumstances around us in ways that we were never meant to react. When all the physical news around us is bad, how do live people, live big people respond? If you were looking at the text in Psalm chapter 11, after verse 3 comes verse 4. After asking that question, what can the righteous do? There is a response. It doesn't seem like an answer. But it's an amazing response. The response is this. The Lord... Is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He said, wait a second, that's not an answer. Yes it is. That is the most profound answer you could ever receive. To a question like, when the foundations of the earth are shaken. What can the righteous do? The answer that God gives to you is, certainly not be shaken with it. Because, in fact, while the foundations that we see all around us are shaking, nothing in heaven is shaking at all. The Lord is in His holy temple, the Lord is on His heavenly throne. And you know what He wants? He wants us to live like that. He wants us to live like that is true. He wants us to live big, live abundantly, when the foundations are shaking. So I ask you, my beloved, who love the Lord, when the foundations are shaking around us, is what really matters to us ever in a state of distress really I want to make this a New Year's resolve in my own life and hopefully I'll bring some people with me that we will live big. And I think Paul has defined living big so well in 1 Timothy 6.19 and by the way that's going to be our text this morning 1 Timothy 6. He's defined it as this taking hold of life that is truly life. I think he's, I think he's given a parallel description of what Jesus said when he said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Paul says to Timothy, I want you to take hold of life that is truly life. I want you to teach the people to take hold of life that is truly life. And by the way, it starts by living almost diametrically opposite to everything, every reaction, every strategy you see modeled before you. That's why Paul... In Romans chapter 12, writing to the Romans says... ...do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. In other words, stop. If you want to battle to believe... ...one of the first things you've got to do is stop... ...being conformed to the kind of thinking... ...that is all around you in this world. The patterns of this world. Rather, be transformed. How? ...by the renewing of your mind. It's it's transferring... ...a worldly mindset... ...for a renewed mind. That's what the battle to believe is all about. That's what fighting the good fight, fight of faith is all about. It is stop being conformed... ...to the attitudes... ...the emotions... The behaviors, the reactions, the thinking of the people around you. When they look at the crumbling financial world. When they look at the crumbling world at war. When they look at the crumbling health crisis and and all the other relational crises and all the things around them. You're not to be conformed to that kind of thinking. That kind of pattern. You're to be different. You're to be transformed completely changed by a renewed mind. The patterns of this world, that by the way, you may be at various stages of conformity too, because the point that Paul's making is, is stop being conformed. In other words, you are, now stop it. You have been, stop it. one of those major patterns is the pursuit of the material. Its primary commodity is money. Conforming to the material. Its highest attainment is wealth. We are to be transformed. Not conformed to the pursuit of the material, but transformed to the pursuit of the spiritual, whose highest attainment is Christlikeness. The pattern of the world's thinking is the highest attainment is wealth. The the pursuit of uh, of the transformed mind that is renewed by the thinking of God, by the word of God, is a pursuit to Christ-likeness. They are poles apart. And the centerpiece, by the way, of the battlefield in this showdown between the material and the spiritual is whether or not you are going to join the long parade of pursuing gold or pursuing God. Is God the prize of your life or gold? It shouldn't surprise us, I think, that that in fact, um, in the Ten Commandments, we are given boundary lines to this battle. The first commandment is... that, that, that you shall have no other gods before you. Do you know that? Do you know what the, the last commandment is? Anybody know? Without turning to Exodus 20? Hmm? Thou shalt not covet. Gene Henkelman, of course. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? That God has bookended the Ten Commandments by this very concept. Will God be your prize? Or will gold be your prize? And obviously the, the direction that God is sending us in is God. Make God your prize. Live big is about God as your prize. In fact, in Colossians 3.5 we are told covetousness is idolatry. One of the great North American dangers... This sermon wouldn't have the the same impact everywhere in our world, but in this particular region, in this particular part of the world, one of the great North American dangers in our lives is that we have blurred the lines between gold and God. And in good times, it isn't so apparent. But when gold comes under stress, as it has in these past number of months, our reactions are a graphic spiritual ultrasound when the foundations of the financial world are being destroyed in the North American context... or the European context, in those money centers of the world... we realize how blurred the lines have become between God and gold. And it's not so new a danger, by the way. If your Bibles are open to First Timothy... You will find that um, there in Ephesus, Paul is writing to young Timothy and telling him that there are some harmful teachings about finances. In fact, um, Paul calls it false doctrine, teaching false doctrine in verse 3. Instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching that is not apparent, conceited people who understand nothing, unhealthy interests and controversies and quarrels, resulting in envy, strife, malicious talk and evil suspicions and constant friction between men of corrupted minds. Worldly minds versus renewed minds, who, by the way, have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So Paul is writing to young Timothy in Ephesus... ...and saying to him that there are some lines being blurred, Timothy... ...in the teaching, theological teaching... ...about godliness and its relationship to finances. So our first big lesson today... ...on live big... ...is I want to be rich. And by the way, I'm going to say that to him... to declare that as one of the, the big... ...the live big principles for Rick Baker... In 2009, I want to be rich. Say, wait a minute, I think think you're heading in the wrong direction, Pastor. No, no, I I want to be rich. I don't want to get rich. I want to be rich. There's a huge difference between the two. And, And in fact, God invites us to be rich. But he's going to challenge us in the idea of getting rich. So if your Bibles are open to 1 Timothy, let's continue reading. But godliness, he says, with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich... right, ...fall into temptation and a trap... ...and to many foolish and harmful desires... ...that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith... ...and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you... Man of God, or woman of God, or young person of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, when you stood in that baptismal tank and made that confession of faith that, that you... We're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus. Who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which God will bring about in his own time. God the blessed and only ruler. The King of kings and Lord of lords. Who alone is immortal. ...and who lives in unapproachable light... ...whom no one has seen or can see... ...to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world... ...not to be arrogant... ...nor to put their hope in wealth... ...which is so uncertain... ...but to put their hope in God... ...who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to to do good... ...to be rich. Okay? Okay? So we're commanded to be rich. That's why I'm saying to you, I want to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Our Father and our God, as we... Take a close look now at your instruction to us here. We, um, we know all around us, at least the media has made it apparent to us, that the financial foundations are shaken. So what can the righteous do? I pray, Lord, that you will teach us this morning clearly what your call in our life is how we can stop being conformed to the worldly thinking around us, the patterns of worldly thinking, rather be transformed by renewed minds as you fill our minds and our hearts and our soul this morning with your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's a showdown between conformity to this world's values versus transformation. And it hinges, by the way, in this particular text... On what you wish to be rich in. There are four big, four things that live big people are rich in. That's what I want to point out from the text this morning to you. Worthy of your energy. What it means to take hold of the life that is truly life. And the first is this to be rich in contentment. Rich in contentment. But godliness with contentment. You have a, a A contrast here between verse 5, which is the corrupted mind that is robbed of truth, robbed of contentment, and contentment. And there's a contrasting offer proposed. The corrupted mind is, is, is anxious for financial gain. Over against the contented mind that is going to get great gain. God is never looking to withhold things from us. God wants you to have more than you can ever imagine. That's what abundant life is all about. God's word is never telling you to live like a stingy life. That's why we can say live big. God says what? You want financial gain? I want you to have great gain. That's the contrast. What do you want? Financial gain or great gain? And this is, the, this is the reality, to be rich in contentment, because this brings to you great gain. We live in a very restless, restless environment. People are restless. They're discontented. They're, they're moving here and moving there. They're searching for something here or searching for something there. They're never satisfied God says, I, I want you to find the place in your life. I want you to find that relationship with me in your life... ...that brings you contentment. That's what great gain is in life. Godliness, by the way, as a means to financial prosperity... ...is an invention of the corrupted mind. And by the way, we have lots of false teaching in the Durham region... On this, ...in this regard. Nothing disturbs God more than people who would try to propagate the idea that the more godly you are, the more wealthy you will become. That's not a true teaching. That's a teaching from a corrupted mind, robbed of the truth. In fact, it says here that godliness that views God alone as the ultimate prize... produces a contented mind, which is great gain. And by the way, a contented mind is the perfect environment... For a renewed mind. If you want to know what it is to experience the fullness of transformation in your life, you have to come to the place where you have a contented mind. Because that contented mind that values God as the ultimate prize is a mind that is willing to be renewed by the word of God. By soaking in the truth. Not robbed of the truth by our ambition for financial gain, but able to, to, to welcome the truth because our life is contented. God is the prize of this godliness. And contentment is the currency. So get rich in contentment. And you get God. Now, how in the world to What makes this kind of contentment so valuable? This godliness with contentment so valuable. In other words, riches in God things. Well, he goes on and he says this. And this is why. Because, for or because, same thing. We brought nothing into the world. And we can take nothing out of it. Now, um, I was at three birth arrivals. And I noticed that, that there were three little individuals that came into the world and they brought absolutely nothing with them. Were, were, any, of you, were any of you at those kind of events? In fact, um, in fact, they brought a lot of liabilities with them. They, they, they didn't bring anything with them. I saw three California raisins born. And... Um, the one of them, who was actually born January 2nd, didn't have the common decency to even be born three or four days earlier, so I could have claimed him for the full year as a tax deduction. (laughs) And and so Paul is writing to Timothy here and telling him, I I want you to know the deal. I want you to go and pay attention to a birth. You see what comes into the world, just a a little thing with skin. Skin. And that's what goes out of the world. Same way. Take nothing with you except... ...except... ...what is in that skin. That's what you take with you. And and so there's no sense, he says here... ...to accumulate material things... ...because it isn't going where you're going. See, the whole essence of this story... ...the essence of this text is... You're ultimately going to be with the Lord. You're ultimately going to be in heaven. You're going to be with Him. He's coming to get you. You're not taking this with you. So it makes no sense to accumulate. We're leaving the way we arrived. And by the way, many of us, just a month and a half ago or so, toured a museum of uh, Egyptian antiquities. And we saw the... uh, the, the, um, some of the spoils of the King Tutankhamun uh, burial site. Now, now they, they put everything, including the kitchen sink, in this guy's burial site. Chariots and beds. Look, the, the man took his bed with him. Now, Paul is saying here, stop being conformed to the thinking of people who are robbed of the truth, who actually think that they should put into their tomb all the things and all the things they've accumulated so that they can use them in the world to come. Paul says, you ain't getting to use those things in the world to come. You don't need them. So stop accumulating them. Don't take them with you. They, they won't be with you. So Tutankhamun took his RSPs and he buried them with himself. Now, I know we think that's really foolish. In fact, there was some snickering that went on in the audience, but wait a second. Don't we, some, some of us, live like this? Aren't we living like this? And he says, um, not only that, but if you have food or clothing, or, or the word literally here is covering, which could mean cloth- both clothing and shelter, and I think it's ambiguous enough for that purpose, Because God knows what you need. If you have food and clothing, be content with that. Food, clothing, covering. Food, clothing, and shelter. Be content with that. So simplify your desires to the necessities of life. Because all of you know that the greatest things in life are are the enjoyment of God's creation or the provision God has of of people in your life or relationships... or a passion for Christ. All of these things are the greatest things in life. So he says, simplify your desires to food and clothing and covering... so that you'll be freed up to be contented... and enjoy the great gain that God has in creation and, and people... and a passion for Christ the clutters of life crowd out capacities for contentment in God. By the way, whatever you feed, you create a greater appetite for. So, feed into the enjoyment of the things God wants to give you. And then he points out the dangers of discontent. People who want to get rich because they're not content, okay, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I want you to know, he is not talking here about people ...who are working hard and increasing in their wealth... ...to invest in, in subduing creation and, 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 and helping people. That's not what he's talking about here. Benefiting people to, glory, to glorify God. That's not, that's not what's in view here. It, what's in view here is the sheer accumulation of riches personally... And so, the point that he makes here is that what you treasure, your heart pursues. If you pursue getting rich, it will seduce you away from a soul focus. It will get in the way of the highest spiritual interests in your life. a, A neglect that you can't afford... It will change your character into hurtful or harmful desires. You'll become shrewd and suspicious and envious and hard-hearted and unscrupulous. And if that isn't enough, it says here that many who are eager for money, or some who are eager for money, have even wandered from the faith. They've driven a stake through their very soul. The contrast here is against defecting from the faith through discontentment and embracing fully God as the prize and eternal life and eternal things and spiritual excellence. And so he says, flee from this. ...flee from from what doesn't lead to eternal life. And that's why the contrast now in verse 11... ...but you, man of God or woman of God... ...do you want something to, to really challenge you? Something to really live for? Don't be eager to get rich. Don't be a person who loves money. Don't be discontented about the things that you have. Here's something to really live for. Here's the big challenge... ...be rich in contentment first... ...but secondly, be rich in the faith. But you, man of God, woman of God... ...he's he's making the clear distinction... that, ...that a person of God is not attracted to this direction... ...but must, in fact, flee from it. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love... ...endurance and gentleness. And then I think he summarizes all of those up... ...and puts them in a package... And says, here's the package deal. Fight the good fight of the faith. Live big people. They flee from all of this. And by the way, I think he is telling us, and legitimately so, this will not be easy. That's why it's a fight. If it were easy, he wouldn't be saying, fight the good fight of the faith. He wouldn't be saying, you've got you to flee from this. He would be saying, you know what, when you come to faith in Christ, this stuff just naturally drifts away. It naturally drifts out of your interest. <laughs> well, it doesn't. And so he says, this is the fight of your life. You're fighting that the spiritual might win. You're fighting that the material will lose. And by the way, as Abraham of of old, you will be strengthened by God if you join this battle. You will win, but you have to fight. Because the strenuous effort is required, because the pattern of this world is very natural. Material is attractive, it's desirable, it's compelling. It's hard to resist because it brings at least surface security... ...and the promise of pleasures. And because we're flesh and blood. We feel. We see. We touch. We watch other people. We watch the patterns of this world. And all kinds of them are doing alright. Right? Right? you got to fight to believe... What God is teaching you. You have to fight to believe what God is teaching you. That's what a renewed mind is. It's fighting to believe. Abraham, in the face of of circumstances that had him and his wife as good as dead, fought to believe that God could provide a child for them. And so he was strengthened and gave glory to God. You were called to fight this... ...because you were called to eternal strategies... ...eternal desires. You're called to loftier things. And he goes on to say... ...do you realize the splendor... ...of the investment portfolio... ...that God has in mind for you? And then he gives a... a, um, ...listing of the amazing things. In the presence of many, ...in the sight of God... ...who gives life to everything... He says the first, the first, the, the, the first uh, uh, magnificent and spectacular vision you need to have that you might be rich in the faith is to, is to understand that, that, that pursuing the material, pursuing discontent, ultimately leads to ruin and death and destruction. These are not the things you want, but rather you want God. Pursue Him as the prize because He's the one who gives life. ...to everything. He turns any pursuit that he wants you to have... ...he turns into an abundant pursuit... ...worthy of God's people. Not only that, he says... ...Christ himself stood before Pontius Pilate... ...and made that that good confession... ...that he would not turn... ...and follow the ways of the world... ...but would rather go and do his Father's will... And Paul is saying, Tim, Christ, who has been to the realm of glory, made the good confession and chose the eternal things, kept his eyes fixed on on what was before him. Timothy, he's not speaking from a hope-so vision. He's speaking from a no so vision. Christ himself, the son of God, the second person of the trinity. He's been there. And when he stood before Pontius Pilate in the midst of materialism, he made the choice for eternal things. So choose it, Timothy. The prize is God, and he goes on to describe him. God, the blessed. God, the only ruler. God, the King of kings, God, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and gives life and immortality to you, who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. And in the middle of his letter, he just has to say amen. He says, I I just got to say amen. I I can't write another thing until I say amen. And and, um, so he says, be rich in faith, choose total trust. ...in what can really be counted on... ...or more particularly... ...in who can really be counted on. Invest in a can't-lose strategy... ...and by trusting you demonstrate belief. Thirdly, be rich in God. We've already taken you there, I think. Be rich in contentment, be rich in faith... ...be rich in God. And by the way, now I'm given authority... ...to make some commands... I don't usually push my weight around too much because there's not a whole lot to push around. But look what I get to do now. Verse 17. Command. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Now, I am commanding you in 2009 to put your hope in God. That's a command. It's the living God is, is commanding you in the face of whatever the uncertainties and insecurities and foundations that are shaking all around you in the face of all of those things, put your hope in God. It's an order. Are you looking for hope in your investments? <laughs> I know most of you aren't anymore. Which ones? The commodities? Oh, they've done really well. Energy? Well, oil used to be something spectacular, right now it's not so great. Financial industry? Anybody have any Lehman Brothers shares? The industrials? How many of those are going to be open this year currencies as one person says if you have money it takes wings that's what the Bible says don't put your hope in wealth which is so uncertain but put your hope in God all wealth does is provide you with uncertainty, but hope in God, who richly, by the way, he throws us word and richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. This is the great gain stuff. God is, not, God is not speaking to an audience and saying, oh, by the way, I want you to go in an austerity program. I want you to know what, have life and have life really stingy. Have life really small. No, not at all. He so says, put your hope in God, who gives richly. He provides richly everything for your enjoyment. It's a strategy. Everything you need for joy. Everything you need for joy. Listen to me. Everything you need for joy, you get from God. Not from things. Everything you need for joy, you get from God. That's what the richly provides us with. Everything. For our joy. That's it. Wealth may not provide either riches or enjoyment, but God richly provides. Now, let me just say, if I hope to enjoy God, if I want to put, if I want to be rich in God, how do I go about doing that? he talks about laying up here treasure for themselves in glory. Is it not so that that for anything to become a treasure to you, you have to recognize its value? And um, to recognize its value, you have to put some work into it. I, I mean, a rare painting becomes a treasure to somebody who actually knows... Something about that painting. They they know the intricate details. They they know how valuable it is. It it requires an interest, a a commitment, a passion. A spending of time. A a, a gaining of knowledge. That's how we value things. I can't tell you the number of times Christmas in particular reminds me of this. when, When you would give a present to one of... One of the little kids, and they would quickly open up the present and rip the item out of the box and play with the box. Did you ever notice that? It used to drive me crazy i didn't buy the i didn 't spend money on the box. I spent money on this thing, but they didn 't get it they didn 't really understand the value of the thing in the box, and they spent their time goofing off with the box i 'm telling you that. That heaven is similar. When we get to heaven. Our our joy is going to be full. But there are going to be people. Who have greater capacities. To enjoy God. We're not going to be on a level playing field. That's why if you read the scriptures. It talks about rewards in heaven. We are going to have fullness of joy. Eternity is going to be great. Don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you. ...that some of us will be playing with a box... ...when others are drinking deeply of Christ... ...because they have figured out the value of Christ now... ...so that they are able with capacity... ...to receive more of Him there. It requires... That's why he's saying, command this... ...I'm telling you, fight the fight... ...this is not about just now... ...this is about for the future... You say, "Oh, you know what, this thing will all work itself out when I get to glory. No, it won't. This is something you have to do now. Be rich in God. Gaze at Him. Marvel at Him. Value Him. Say no to material and yes to Christ is the prize. Every decision you make according to this text... ...whereby you say no to discontent and yes to contentment in Christ... ...furthers your capacity to enjoy Christ for eternity. The more you invest in Jesus and His kingdom and His kingdom work now... ...the more you will, the more you will engage in the fullness of enjoyment in eternity... I want you to remember this, because when I meet you in heaven someday, you say, "You're right. I, I, it was worth drinking deeply of Christ. It was absolutely worth it." And then finally, hope, or rich, be rich in good deeds. It's another command. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation of the coming age. Be rich in good deeds. Command this. It's for your own good and the good of your future. Be generous, willing to share. That's how you enjoy your wealth rather than hope in it. If God has blessed you, bless others. Do good. It's not buying your faith. It's investing in your faith. That's what he's telling you benefit people in abundance. Be generous, willing to share, liberally giving what you have received from God to form and maintain communion and fellowship. You can't take Canadian dollars with you to heaven. There's a conversion rate. God's given us the conversion rate. You convert your money now into doing good and being generous in the kingdom of God. That's conversion. You are now investing in heaven. You are taking your currency, which is susceptible to ups and downs, and locking it in to glory. Does anybody feel like this is a good strategy? You have demonstrated already a capacity for this and a a hunger for this. Uh, This has been an amazing year already, 2008. Well, 2009 hasn't been so amazing yet, but it will be. But 2008 was an amazing finish. That you saw the value in a most amazing way of investing, converting your Canadian dollars into heavenly currency. By investing in God's work. God strengthened you and enabled you. And will continue to enable you. If you're rich in contentment. If you're rich in God. If you're rich in the faith. And if you're rich in good deeds. Bless others now. Gain a heavenly investment portfolio. Our Father and our God, as we uh, set out in 2009 together, we want to be rich. Lord, we want to be rich in contentment. We want to be rich in the faith. We want to be rich in God. And we want to be rich in good deeds. Lord, strengthen us. Enable us to believe that you can deliver on what you promise. You have promised that you will provide richly everything for our enjoyment. You will enable us to be rich in good deeds to your glory. This we ask, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. The question is, what do you really believe? And really believe in. This is what you should invest in. If you believe that the material world can take care of you and provide you with certainty and sure hope, then invest there. But we all know better than that God is our hope, God is our life, God is our strength, God richly provides everything for our enjoyment. And it's all been personally guaranteed by Jesus Christ Himself. I can't think of a a better strategy than to invest in God. It's a sure investment, it can't be deflated or depressed or recessed. It's always rich, always moving forward. Christ himself said, come hell or high water, my church will prevail. That's where you invest. That's where you nurture the work of God in your life. Invest in a missionary. Invest in a young person who's who's pursuing the kingdom of God, developing their giftedness and equipping themselves. Pursue in churches that are faithful to God's will. Anything that that catches the have nots' attention for God, invest there. Invest in tools and resources and initiatives that make God noticeable. Invest in agencies that are committed to the Great Commission, not ministries that promise you money and earthly wealth for godliness. Our good confession Jesus is Lord, Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our prize. Our conviction, God can deliver on his promises to provide you with everything you need for enjoyment. And the command, fight. Fight for faith. Use what you have to do good, to be good, to be generous, and to be willing to share. That, my beloved, is live big principles. 2009 father we commit ourselves to you we accept the fact that we are weak and we are challenged in these things and we have to fight to believe strengthen us lord to believe that we might win this great battle that you would be the prize of our life for we ask it in jesus name